I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. It's been a little while. This is Audra. Yeah, this is Sadie. Uh, so thanks for your patience, everybody. We had a little bit of a hiatus. Sadie went on a trip to the most magical <laughs> place on Earth with with all her loving sub- loving siblings. I thought that was awesome. Did you guys have a good time? Oh, my gosh. It was the best. Um, it's The more I think about it after the fact, the more I'm just kind of like amazed that we pulled it off and... Um, it's cool that everybody like wanted to do that. Cause if you don't know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's most likely that you know us, but, um, I have a really large family and I'm the youngest of six kids. And I think it's really cool that we as adults just like enjoy spending time together. And we went to Disneyland. It was the best time ever. Yeah. I'm glad you guys had a good time. That was awesome. So we took some time off for Sadie to do that. And then this week I was in um, California, Woodside, California for a horse show. Mm-hmm. So was not able to record. So thanks everybody for your patience, but you, we're back. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get some of Audra's horse content, you should really just follow her personal account on Instagram. Cause I'm not going to lie. I've been living for your stories it's a this lot, last week. It's a lot of, it's a lot of horse content <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. Horse and I like content. tried to I tried to minimize it. I was like, okay, like not everybody is obsessed with your horse as you are, Audrey. You need to like rein it in a little uh, bit. You know, I could have done with some like more. Honestly, every time oh, yeah. I saw you pop up, I looked forward to looking at it, especially because this last trip that you did, I love how much uh, like outdoor terrain you yeah. guys did. It looked it awesome. It was such a cool spot. It's called Woodside um, Horse Park, and it's it's awesome. Like one of the arenas, you could look out and see the bay, oh, so wow. see Stanford, you know, the spear. And then they had this huge cross country course, which is just like this open field course with like, uh, you know, p- ponds and all these other jumps and stuff. And that's not the kind of riding I do, but it's really fun to run out there and pretend and mm-hmm. jump over logs and coops and run through the water. And so we, <laughs> and they had, they had trail areas. So like, yeah, it was really nice. It was, it was a vacation as well as work. And yeah. so it was awesome. Yeah. It looked like a great time. Well, and, um, but we had time and we read through and finished, uh, the office of historical corrections. So that's what we're starting for this episode. Part one will be the six stories that she has. It's a collection of six short stories and a novella. So then our part two will be discussing the novella, which is titled The Office of Historical Corrections. Mm-hmm. So you still have time to get through everything if you, for some reason, have not picked up this fantastic collection and read it. It's awesome. I encourage you guys to go out and get it. Um, and Sadie, do you want to talk about what our next book is going to be so yes. that you can also go pick up a copy of that? Yes. So we are kind of starting a deep dive into what I would call like essential like fall literature to me. I love Ray Bradbury in the fall. So we're going to read Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. It's like a fun sci-fi fantasy kind of look. And I Ray Bradbury is an incredible writer. I think it's going to be really fun to read. 
yeah, I'm excited. So go pick up a copy. And then I don't know quite what order we're going to do things in yet, but for all of October, we're going to be doing kind of classic um, literature focused around like horror or mm-hmm. monsters. So we're going to do Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. We're going to do um, Dracula. Um, I think we should do when the ter- uh, turn of the screw. That would be awesome. I think. Yeah, I think we can definitely get those three in. Um, we'll see how far we get, but we're kind of thinking something like that. So that'll be our nice spooky October uh, list. That's a lot of reading. It is a lot of reading and it's a lot of classics, but I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, those books, like they can be intimidating, I think, to some people, but they're also relatively short. So like even yeah. though it's a classic, like Frankenstein, for example, is like less than 70,000 words or something. It's not an extensively large no, and it's so good, and they're they're just such important works, and yeah. they're awesome. I took a, I, I'm trying to remember what the title of it was. I think it was just classic literature, but um, and I loved it. This amazing nun <laughs> at USD taught oh. it, and I'm totally spacing on her name now. But we did Frankenstein, we did, um, we did Dracula, and then we did um, oh God, I totally just blinked, and it's driving me crazy. It wasn't Jane Eyre. We did um, I can't remember, but that whole time some period, other and it gothic was a really great class. kind of thing y- yeah um anyway so looking forward to that so make sure you guys if you don't have copies of any of those classics even if we don't get through all of them you should definitely go yeah pick them up and read them it's that's a great october read i know my kids are already starting to talk about what to be for halloween i've been thinking about it too what do you think your kids are going to want to be Lachlan wants to be a gorilla. Oh, cute. Um, and I don't remember what Callan decided on. Oh, it, it changes. At one point it was a mummy, you know, like the wrap up in toilet oh, paper. yes. Uh-huh. Mummy kind of a thing. Um, I don't know if it's changed or not. But anyway, fall is getting to be upon us. I'm kind of excited for some cooler weather. Well, I really like those choices right off the bat, even if they don't go with them. I think that's cool. I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen a kid dressed up in like a classic Halloween, quote unquote, classic Halloween costume for a really long time. I feel like it's just like superhero stuff for every time I see kids out on the street, but mummy costume, like that's, that's some old school stuff right there. That's awesome. Yeah. So I thought we could make it, I hope he continues to want to do that one, but um, yeah, so I don't think, is there anything else that we need to go over before we get into it? I don't think so. I mean, I guess we can just go off on a tangent if we feel like yeah. it, because it's our podcast and we can do what we <laughs> yes, want. We can. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I really wanted to read this book for a long time. I'd heard a lot about it as it was coming out. This was published in 2020. Um, and Danielle Evans had previously written another short story collection called Before You Suffocate Your Own Fool Self. Um, tons of prizes. Um, and I saw her story, um, in what I used to, I always would get those best American short stories anthologies yeah. and I love them cause it's just a great way to like be introduced to new writers. And like, if you don't have time to mm-hmm. read a whole thing, you can pick them up and down. So I recommend doing that everybody. Um, but so that's where I first saw one of her stories and then she teaches at John Hopkins. Um, she's just awesome. Like super super cool woman and I just think this book especially for when it came out was just so pertinent yes um so the stories um in the novella and we'll just talk about the six short stories this episode but it's all kind of about apologies and grief 
Um, her mom yeah. died, and I think she was she wrote a lot of these kind of during that whole period. Um, and I, I think you can see a lot of the grief in her stories, like yeah, especially. I mean, especially in, um, you know, her first, not in her first story, but maybe we should just, should we just go in order or how do you want to talk about it? I mean, I don't know. That's kind of the difficulty with talking about short stories is, I mean, we can talk about them individually, but when you, I also think it's fun when you're working with a short story collection, it's fun to talk about how the different stories comment on each other. Because usually when Mm -hmm. they put these together, it's not just about what has she published or written recently. It's what stories fit to make fit together to make a cohesive work. And um, that's something I think she's really successful at in this in this one. But I think, you know, also the order that she puts them in, I think, is is intentional as well. So I think we can start Mm -hmm. From the beginning, if you there's want. There's a nice build. Yeah, there's a nice build to them. And I agree. Like, I don't think we have to... You don't have to go in some sort of strictly linear fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the nice thing about short, short story collections. But, um, yeah, I felt like everything... There was a nice build. And then this final crescendo with the novella. Um, that's kind of how I felt with, with this collection. But, um, yeah, I... I liked um, the first one. So the first one's called Happily Ever After. I liked all of them, so I'm just going to stop saying that because <laughs> I just universally liked them all. Um, but I would, if I had to order them, this one I would order last as far as how much I liked it. Does that make sense? I agree. I think it was, um, well, it's interesting to me to try to like sort through how I feel about her stories because I feel like they're all so great. But then there are some that really stood out to me. So the other ones kind of fell, not flat. I don't think anything falls flat in this book, but some were less memorable, I guess, because I think she's very like audacious with some of the other ones that she was doing and the perspectives mm-hmm. that she's writing. Um, but I agree. I think like the first one was a good introduction into the feeling and I think some of the topics that she explores within the work, but it is a nice, it's not the, the pinnacle of the, of the collection, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so kind of the, the gist of it, um, the main character, her name's Lissa and she's working at what seems, oh, it's a replica of the Titanic. Yeah. So it's like this huge ship that they've made, you know, built just like the Titanic. And then she works. There's like a little mini museum and you can do events there. And she works in like the gift shop, yeah. I think. And then they're going to be filming like a music, music video. video for this famous. It gave me the image of like, you know, one of the young TikTok stars. Yes. Um, and making a video. And, and then it's just kind of her going through that and not reminiscing, but in recalling things going on in her life. You know, her mom passed away um, and it was, I believe, ovarian cancer. And so then she's kind of dealing with her own issues of uh, are children in the cards for me? Is cancer in the cards for me? Right. What, where am I at with my life? And then her relationships and it gives a really sobering part in the story where it talks about a man she's dating tries to help her by going to pick up medication at a pharmacy for her mother. Um, and the pharmacist calls security on him because uh, he's black. Mm-hmm. Uh, and him getting, le- he doesn't be- get arrested, but 
treated pretty aggressively by police and kind of it's like there's this nice little potent moment right in the middle of it and then it moves on with her life because that's how it is like it just moves on he doesn't even tell her about it and she doesn't know all the details at first and because it's just part of life and I think that's a lot of what the story is about is like all these tragic things and all her grief and yet she's life's just going on she's working at a gift shop in a big replica of the titanic while this young pop star films a music video like it's just the absurdity of it all i love the absurdity of the setting of this titanic replica like (laughs) well you know it is it is absurd and then i also think to me it was kind of eerie like it's weird to me the idea that there's like this replica of this thing that to me just kind of represents like the pinnacle of like a tragedy and like, can, you know thousands can you imagine of lives ha- lost. Yeah. like can you imagine can you imagine having a wedding there right. although people have weddings on plantations all the time which yeah that's true blows my mind yeah and well and like yeah like mimicking this this tragic event but then also filming a music video where they're, like they're dressed up as aliens on it too where it's not even on theme you know like it's just mm-hmm. it's very bizarre and it's but like it's weird how it's never talked about but it it i think it gave me a sense of feeling uncomfortable and i think that there's a lot of that in here like even with just the examples of microaggressions that we see um like when they ask her to be in the music video and her coworker says that they must have just wanted like it for diversity to have her in the background but they're all dressed up in green paint anyway so it's just kind of strange, but they don't, she doesn't really comment on it or talk about it, but it's, it's weird how there are just like with the, with the thing at the pharmacy, these smaller things that are aggressive or weird or off that don't seem right, but are normal. And then these big things that you would think people would want to talk about, but it's just Mm -hmm. an everyday kind of tragedy. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a good, I think it was a good intro into like her uh, the outlook of these stories, I guess. Like it really I think it did set the tone for the world she's writing about, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like which which is kind of strange because I get a pessimistic tone from a lot of these stories, like from the characters more than I do the stories actually. Like I don't know. I didn't feel sad reading a lot of this stuff, but the characters themselves felt kind of um, pessimistic, or or in a lot of these in, in a lot of these stories, I think really like uh, what's the word? Um, like their own worst enemies in a lot of way. You know, like they do it to themselves can, a little bit. Yeah. I can see that. I I didn't really take it that way. I thought I thought the characters just seemed very it's not a very eloquent way to put it, but just very n- no bullshit. Like there was no coddling the reader, there was no coddling other characters in the story, like right. I don't know. I I, I so I can see what gave like why you feel that way. But, but that's the great thing about this, right? Is it's like it makes different people feel different ways. I actually felt more 
like positive and hopeful, even though a lot of these stories and the novella are not necessarily the most uplifting and are quite tragic, even in like, even if there's not like a finite ending, if that makes sense. But I, I guess it's just really nice to have these things addressed. And like the more you talk about things, that's the only way things will have any sort of improvement or education. And so I think it was just a really like these stories are, are just well done and, and needed. So it's probably just more like it's, I don't know how you feel when you're reading it too. Yeah. I think it definitely like evokes emotion. Um, a lot of the characters, I think Lissa is kind of like a good one though, where like I got kind of frustrated. There's a lot of like, um, in this, in this collection, I think that there's a lot of interesting play on like lies that people tell, but like, like deception, but whether that's on purpose or whether it's not, you know, like in misunderstandings a little bit. And with Lissa, if I'm remembering correctly, doesn't she like lie and say that she does get a hysterectomy, but she doesn't. And like the doctor's telling her she needs to, and she's just kind of like telling people different things and saying she'll do stuff and she won't. And I mean, that's a huge decision and it's one, like I have no idea what I would do and how I would react. Um, but it's, it's interesting because like there is a level of deception there with how much she's telling other people, but it's such a, like, I think that Danielle Evans puts us so much in their position that you can't be mad at them really. It's more that you just like want to give them a hug, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. and like tell them you understand or something. I felt like I really knew these characters. And so even when it was frustrating seeing them, you know, do things like this, I thought it was still, um, like it didn't make me dislike any of the characters. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Um, I like, I really liked the next story um, Richard of York gave Battle in Vain. Mm-hmm. I really just like the characters in this. Um, the gist is the main character is, um, oh, what is her name? Dory's the daughter. Rena. No. Is it Rena? Oh, I can't remember. This is the one. Yeah, Rena. Yeah. So, so Rena. So Rena's the main character, um, and she's... Uh, she met this guy named JT when they were, so he was a journalist and I'm trying to remember what she did or she did photo. She was a photographer and they got kind of trapped together while they were in, I'm trying to remember what country. Oh, in Ghana anyway. And so they become, became really close friends. He's white. She's black. He was engaged to someone named Dory who's from this small town. So then it picks up where Rena's at this wedding Everyone's traveled in for this wedding Mm -hmm. and kind of just her analysis on the people there and JT and his relationship, which I thought she was just a really wry and lovely narrator. I really liked the narrative voice in this. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, and then JT disappears, says that he can't do it. And then she's like on this (laughs) crazy, like, let's go find him trip with Dory. Yeah. And then they find him. I don't know. There's it's not like this huge, intense plot, but I just really it almost made me just seem like a great episode. Like it was just a, I just really liked the story. It was a little more fun to me. 
Yeah, it was but, a little bit more fun. I, um, I mean, it's not fun material, but it's like, I don't know. It was really funny well, to me. I think you're right. Like um, it, it read like kind of an episode of television or something in like this yeah. weird kind of adventure that she <laughs> adventure, quote unquote, that she takes Dory on, even though she knows like that they're not going anywhere where she's actually going to find her fiance, you know, like this just kind of, it's just kind of strange, but it, 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 it was a lot more fun, which I think was good because I think I needed a story like that to preface the next story. Boys go to Jupiter. And I just thought like the, the tone shift between the two of them was really clever and important, but I agree. I really liked the second story. It was a lot more fun, and um, the her, the way she like watches people and is so observant of them as they're going out to like bars and clubs and stuff was really interesting. Yeah, and I I think it had some interesting things to say about um, you know the relationships between black and white people and men and women like it just there was all sorts of mishmash of like how complicated relationships can be and like especially if you're not aware of historical context and stuff and um and then she and rena's got this really sad story that's the thing again there's more of this grief and like um her sister i think got married to someone that they knew from growing up and then her sister ends up killing her yeah no her husband the sister's husband ends up killing her sister yes or she killed her is it that she i think she is killed if i'm remembering correctly which is also it's yeah he thought he thought that um his wife was cheating because he'd seen a repairman leave the house and she hadn't told him that anyone was coming that day yeah so he um no she didn't die he shot her in the head and she lived but she's like in a rehab facility oh um you can't can't even do anything that's right um but yeah and it's it's kind of inserted right in the middle of this short story so it's like you've kind of already met rena you kind of think you have her understood and figured out and she seems like a great character i'm super interested in her and then you get this other added layer of grief and i think that's kind of how it felt about a lot of the characters is like the layer of grief or tragedy or hardship kind of just kept building but it didn't it didn't come off as like maudlin to me. It was just more layers. I mean, that's what we're all well, dealing with, right? Is trauma of different degrees and the layers of it. Well, and I think, I think like the short story as a form of writing is unique in the way that it can kind of do that without that having to be what the story's about. Like, I feel like if you're going to write mm-hmm. a 300 page novel, that would be the center of the story is like her relationship with her sister. Sure. But in a, in a short story f- format, I think the, the like writers have more freedom and creativity to kind of like experiment a little bit with what the plot really is and how much yeah. there needs to actually even be. And, um, you know, the fact that something as insane as like your sister being shot by an abusive husband and, and everything that happens with that being almost kind of like a side bit of another story with a much smaller intensity level of a plot, you know, yeah. I think that that's something mm-hmm. that I don't know would work super well in 
um, a novel, but it works really well in a short story. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think what's great about short stories is the idea of it's not that a novel's better or short stories are better. I think it's just, you know, short stories are more compressed. Yeah. And I don't think that means condensed or like you lose anything. Cause that, that's the kind of image I get if you say something's condensed or like just shortened. I think it's just compressed. I think you have just as much emotion and character development and mm-hmm. all of that. It's just compressed more, which is, work so well because you know getting things compressed there's still a lot of power behind it and mm-hmm. I think that's ugh, I really like short stories because it's almost like a way to get that in one big oomph you know like right. you can get all of that quicker it's like a, a shot of something versus like a nice glass of wine yeah. I don't know well and I think because of that short form oh my god we didn't talk about our cocktails <laughs> speaking of shots and wine <laughs> We skipped one whole half of our damn podcast. Like, it's in the name. <laughs> well, what are you drinking? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I actually made some. So I um, used that Empress Gin that you got Yay. me. Um, and tonic. So gin and tonic. But then I put uh, some a cucumber flavoring in it. Um, and then just a teeny touch of honey. Oh, nice. And it's actually pretty good. So that's what I'm drinking. <laughs> lit and libations oh my gosh ridiculous. Hey, it's okay you know it's what been a couple drinking? weeks where you know we're out of practice we're out of practice <laughs> we don't know what we're doing it all <laughs> fell apart at least we read the book yeah um i'm drinking which <laughs> what i saw i meant to send it to you i should have posted it i thought when it was mean because if people liked the book but the maidens which yes. was horrible i saw this tiktok someone did and it, the idea of it was when you just can't put that book down and so it was a video or whatever tiktok you want to call it of him reading that book in all these different positions like walking to somewhere unloading the dishwasher brushing teeth like couldn't stop reading the book i'm like that's the worst example i've ever seen because i know that feeling and i would not give that feeling to the maidens that book no. has still scarred me like it's it's, it's so, so bad i i went to uh barnes and noble and i saw it on the shelf today of like oh. new and noteworthy and i was like how much did they pay you barnes and noble to put this on this shelf because it's not <laughs> it's not new out. and noteworthy Charlene, you know, your cousin, she texted me, shout out, hi, Charlene, if you're listening. And she's like, I can't get past page 64. Just tell me what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Said it's just too awful and long to write you. So like, just listen to the podcast but and listen to us bitch about she it. Didn't, uh, yeah, she didn't want to keep reading. Like, it's so, it was so bad. Ugh, we got it. Yeah, genuinely. We're trying to clean the taste out of our mouths still. Genuinely terrible. Um, I am drinking a gin and like pear hibiscus syrup Jenny drink. Ooh. Yeah, it's good. We we got like a while ago we did these uh like cocktail delivery things where they'll deliver like enough for like I think four cocktails um ingredients and then tell you what liquor to put in with them. And so it's like one of those home cooking meal yeah, but things it's, but, for cocktails, but for cocktails that's genius yeah it's it's fine I just like it actually for the recipes which is really fun and like I would never make a pear hibiscus syrup at home you know so it's like already made for you um so we had a bunch of that left over and we kept the cards with the recipes and the recipe uh that they gave was too much 
it was too much gin. It was basically just straight gin, a teaspoon of the syrup, and then bitters. And I couldn't drink it, so I had to add more syrup, and I had to add some club soda. But it, it actually now tastes delicious because spiced pear is choice. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really good. All right. Well, now that we've <sighs> taken care of the second half of what our podcast is supposed to be, or that's little person. I mean, it's in the name. I can't believe we forgot. Oh, well. It's all right. It's um, all right. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I liked this story much better. Yeah. And I like, um, I think she does this a lot during the book, but I think that she is a good example of a short story that I think, um, a lot of my favorite short story authors do the same thing, but I think like she's good at showing the, the way that a short story can be more experimental with like plot and character and storyline that I don't think would mm-hmm. like work in a longer format. Like I don't think I could have read or would have really sincerely enjoyed like a whole novel about like that story, sure. but it works so yeah. well piecemeal. Um, and that's why yeah. I like short stories. They're fun that way. I think that they allow in some circumstances kind of like more room for experimentation. No, I agree. Um, and I really, really liked the next story, Boys Go to Jupiter. This was like the um, pinnacle for me of the book. Like this is the one that stayed with me, has stayed with me the most out of the short stories. Okay, that's cool. Well, what, tell us why. Because I, I like that because there's I, my pinnacle was a different one, but I really liked this one. So let's let's hear it. Um, I'm just kind of like amazed that Danielle Evans is writing this story from her perspective, this perspective. And cause it's, so it's the perspective of this girl named Claire who is from, I think the South it's like Maryland or something, but she gets, there's a picture of her that her boyfriend, he buys her a Confederate flag bikini and asks her to wear it. And to her at the time, um, as an uneducated 17 year old or something she doesn't fully even try to think about the consequences of that or what that means and there are photos of her and a woman in her college hall who is black sees the post that she was tagged in on Facebook and posts about her and it becomes this big thing and Claire reacts um kind of like aggressively and (laughs) really abhorrently. And she basically harasses the other girl by like putting a Confederate flag under her door and kind of doubling down a little bit. And it's not, it's so stupid and frustrating, but it's also like interesting because I think that Danielle Evans is not saying that she's really like, aggressively thinking any of these things it's more that she's just so like docile in what she follows and like what she'll go with like she kind of allows herself to become this like weird puppet on campus for like freedom of speech and she's dealing with all of these other issues of her past of um her best friend being like in a black family and dealing with the loss of her mother and her friend going through a similar thing, but her mother not dying. And 
you know, and then like the brother who was really close to her and was just trying to help her and take care of her, you know, gets into a bad situation after a party. And it's just, I don't know, it's just interesting how many layers there are to it and how much she's thinking about it. But also I find it what's the most kind of interesting about it is the fact that Danielle Evans is the one writing from her perspective. Because I think that it would mean something different, I guess, if another author was doing that. Yeah, I thought this story was really affecting everything you said. And and also, like, again, this layer. So it's like she does this awfully ignorant, hurtful thing where she, you know, wears this Confederate flag bikini and then, as you said, doubles down on, well, I didn't, I'm not this way, so it didn't mean anything. You know, that's not my Mm -hmm. intent. And then you know, gets kind of allows the libertarian group to be a puppet or make be her. She allows herself to be their puppet in a way about why it should be okay that she does that. And who cares? What's the big deal? And then you kind of slowly get the story of her childhood and her best friend being black and her best friend's brother, Aaron, Mm -hmm. and find out that also due to kind of her ignorance, her entitlement, her privilege, Aaron died. Yeah. You know, because she got completely wasted and granted she has total understandable trauma and grief with her mother dying. And so her best friend and her, their mothers were both diagnosed with diagnosed with cancer. Her best friend's mother lived. Her mother died. So there was definitely I can only imagine that kind of pain and mixed up emotion going on there. Yeah. But because of all of, again, her entitlement and ignorance and privilege she gets really drunk. Aaron goes to take her home, um, gets chased by <clears throat> white boys that think that that's something that they need to do. Uh, and he ends up dying. And like, that's kind of her. It's she's a direct correlation to it, just like she's a direct correlation to everything that's going on on her campus. And um, I thought it was just a really pertinent story for like what's been going on over the last couple of years and mm-hmm. starting to have more of a spotlight on, you know, ignorance isn't an excuse. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, like this idea of, of cancel culture and what's free speech. And, and it, I don't know. It, I just thought it was a really good way to put it. It had lots of layers to the story. The characters were intriguing, even if it wasn't in a good intriguing, they were intriguing. And I think she wrote everything in a very balanced manner like yeah I think the characters all had a lot of balance and again there's not a lot of time here it's not a lot of words but really I think gives you a good picture of all of these people that she's writing about and not a lot of space I agree I think it is interesting to like I don't know I'm one thing I thought about when I was reading it is what I guess the Reaction would have been to a story like that if it hadn't been written by a woman of color. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I just... And I think it works really well because of the, the background of the author. I think that's why she's able to give it such a nuanced take, you know? But I think if you... I don't know. Like, I just don't think, like, I could have ever, I mean, I can't write anything, but, like, I don't think I could have written a story like this with the nuance and without it seeming like trying to defend Claire. Do you know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. she does deserve, I think, like, a full, well-rounded 
perspective, but I, I just think that the reaction would have been different if the author had been like someone who was also um, in similarly to Claire less than knowledgeable or understanding of like the full scope of the impact, you know? Yeah, no, I exactly. I mean, I think the story does such a good job of communicating how there's so much pervasive and I think sometimes from our perspective, seemingly subtle, even though it's not subtle, but you know, I think you get this idea in your head, at least I did growing up in school that, you know, racism is, you know, the Ku Klux Klan only and, you know, things like that, not the kind of everyday, I mean, just imagine like where you live, having people have Confederate flags up and having your college dorm neighbor wear a Confederate flag bikini and post it like that. It's just such a, I, I can only imagine just how strange and alienating and awful that must feel. And so then for people to not even bother to understand, you know, to, yeah. to act like that symbol is anything other than what it is, right? is shocking. But I think she does a great way of just showing how that's so pervasive and subtle and just built into our lives. And, you know, how Claire talks about it, I think is really brings that point home. Yeah. Like, you know, she, I'm sure would think I have, I'm not racist at all. And then at a certain point, well, what does it matter? You know, it's like, well, it's just really, yeah, she's a sad character. It's sad. It's, and it's complicated. And I think that there are like a lot of levels to the sadness here too. Cause you know, I think that the, um, the way, you know, the fact that she like receives death threats, like that's never okay. And like the, how long it really goes before anybody really talks to her and like tries to tell her how what she did was hurtful. Like there's space between that where she is like already receiving death threats by the time her counselor even talks to her. And, uh, you know, I think some of her reactions to to kind of how things end up happening or going with it is fair you know like it's fair for her to be like well you aren't protecting me when I'm receiving death threats or also like why didn't she just talk to me because I didn't understand what I was doing and while it's it's one of those things where I'm like that's not the person across the hall's job like because she felt unsafe so why would she say something but the fact that it's like plastered on the internet before she's even aware she did something wrong I think this this story, I think, talks a lot about how obviously Claire's wrong, obviously she fucked up, but there are other levels that in some ways I think make it more difficult for people to actually generally, genuinely like learn a lesson outside of just like kind of being used by a bunch of other people to try to prove a point rather than like actually having, I guess, conversation. I don't know. There was like a lot of lack of genuine conversation yeah. in telling her what she fucked, like how she fucked up. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think the points made really well with what you're saying with her showing what happened in the past, you know, with, with Aaron and him yeah. dying. I think she shows when ignorance like that goes unaddressed, when things, when you don't actually get an education, when you don't talk about it, when people don't talk to you, these things are going to continue to happen. Like, yeah. I think that she makes that point and sometimes they're maybe what you think is not so serious a bikini of a confederate flag compared to being chased in a car by 
yeah. people trying to kill you. For sure. And you dying. I mean, very, very different degrees of, um, what's the word? Just different degrees, but equally as serious and equally as preventable. And I think that the story does a really good job of pointing that out. And especially it being set in a college campus, too. You yeah. know, and it's this beacon of education. And there's the people in this office that she meets with. And they have a, a seminar. Or I don't know what you call it. An open forum town hall meeting. Right. And it does nothing. You know, so I think it, it makes the point that you can't just be learned you know, that there's a different education, a different kind of reckoning that has to happen as well, because we all know that there's a lot we're not taught in school and there's a lot that we're taught that isn't correct. And so I think that the, it, the setting makes that point, too. Again, there's just always so much in these little short yeah. stories are awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's it's also interesting, like thinking about the the ages of these characters, you know, because, you know, Claire makes this mistakes and it, it and it's egregious, but it's not. I think the I think Danielle Evans makes it clear that she's not like trying to be that way. She's just not thinking about it in this way. And it's interesting to see how like, you know, one mistake kind of leads to a lot of different mistakes. Uh, but she's still a very young person, like who's gone through a lot. And, um, it's just kind of interesting to think about how, um, decisions and and experiences that you have, even at a young age can impact, I guess, your life in really kind of sad ways, you know, and maybe if she just responded in a, in a better way, instead of, you know, she doubled it, doubling down like she does and not really taking complaints seriously, then it wouldn't have blown up to this huge thing, you know, and she should have maybe knocked on her neighbor's door and said, I'm sorry, like I saw your post, you know, why I didn't realize it meant this thing. So I apologize, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's like kind of what you were just saying ties in really well to the next story to Alcatraz, Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, again, I'm not going to, I like them all, but, uh, it the character, it's mostly about this main character and her mother and they're going to a tour on Alcatraz and they're meeting with them family that they, her mom hasn't seen since she was a little girl. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like trying to reunite with family and her mom's been on this mission to clear her grandfather's name. He was in the military and he was arrested um, for, I I think the charge was murder, but basically his, someone he was deployed with was shot and killed, but it wasn't her grandfather's fault. And there was all this proof of that, but you know, he was black and, um, she's on this like crusade to get his name cleared and have all this, you know, have all the money paid back for all the legal fees and have all this stuff done to like clear her father's name. And then you find out, you know, her, her mother, um, was trying to think of how to put it. Cause she was raised. She was like the only black child right or like the one that looked that yes. had darker skin yes. yeah um so there she was kind of ostracized and so they're trying to reconnect with this family who are white um anyway and it's mostly about the daughter and the mother and like their relationship and um the history of her father and her trying to get his record you know cleared and 
Um, I don't think there was as much plot in this one as it's like a really great, like I think internal monologue and conversation kind of piece, but, um, I really liked the story and I liked the, I, the idea of that struggle of connecting with family that like kind of hit me a little bit and like the past and how it's important to some people more than others. And, you know, even just the blatant idea of, you know, reparations, I thought Mm -hmm. I'd put that in like a really good light here. Um, So yeah, I liked this one a lot too. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was really interesting. I think like the levels of uh, like generational trauma is interesting and um, because it's, isn't it her mother's grandfather? So it's like quite a bit, it's distanced from her by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah. how much it, it, that's right. It wasn't her father. It was her grandfather. Yeah, so like, but it's still, but she was kind of raised by him. Yes. And it's still just like, is so affecting for them. And, um, and I, I thought it was also interesting, like that, the setting of Alcatraz, cause it's such a well-known place. And mm-hmm. I think that she is also, I think bringing in some interesting perspective on just the prison system and also like the way that people think about it. And again, kind of like how she did with the Titanic replica, this weird kind of like commercialization and commodification of people's trauma, because, you know, Alcatraz housed some of the worst people in the world. But as we see in the story, it housed a lot of innocent people as well. And the whole, I I think the, the part um, in the gift shop where she steals I think it's a key. The key. Yeah, it's like a... Yeah, have you ever been to Alcatraz? I have not. I have not. I, I've toured it a couple times. It's a weird... Yeah, it's an interesting experience. And then... Well, and she talks about it a little bit in here, but, you know, the AIM, um, the American Indian Movement, they mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, what's the word? They stayed out there for a long time as a protest and like it's got a lot of history with it that really is a good reflection, I think, of the tumult in our country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a really good place setting. And and, you know, they go and find what they, you know, they, they go sit in a cell to kind of get that idea of what he mm-hmm. endured. And I think a lot of times when you go and you tour these places, you don't actually try and put yourself in that position, right? Because, like, you're touring Alcatraz, you're never going to... I'm sure you're assuming, like I did, I'm, I'm never going to end up in prison. Right. Like... Or or you're... I'm not ever going to... Or you're thinking about, like, all the bad people that were there. Like, the Al Yeah, you don't, you don't sit there and go, oh, right. Like, I just kept thinking of the movie Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, I, I don't really think of what it must be like to live like that and then what it must be like to live like that when you did nothing wrong and how much of a reality that is for so many people. Yeah. And that's a really sad layer to the story that I think, again, is right there, um, but just so nicely done. It's just like right there under the surface Mm -hmm. through through all of it. It's really good. Yeah. And, you know, obviously super empathetic to the issues and, and frustrations with, you know, bureaucracy. Um, I, you know, I technically like work in that arena. And while I think we're efficient at a lot of things, it's frustrating to compare like what the government is efficient at versus what it isn't. And, 
you know, when you're looking at a place like a state prison or a place like Alcatraz, it's very efficient at um, keeping people there, you know, and and mm-hmm. creating kind of a bad environment. And, and then, you know, and then it's very inefficient at, I think, a lot of the times actually like giving justice in a lot of the ways. And um, and it's not even necessarily like anybody's fault within the system it's that the system itself isn't like really created to be helpful and I think that this is this book does a really good job of like kind of breaking down the idea and concept of reparations to a very like humanizing and specific degree right um yes and thinking about it on like the individual level and how a family is directly impacted. Cause I think a lot of people, when they think about reparations, they're thinking um, about slavery and the 1860s, you know, and before they're not really thinking about the yeah, way that's just, a, that's just a piece of it. Yeah. It's just a piece of it. They're not thinking about the way that it's still, um, there are still things happening today that need to be repaired versus just things yeah. 200 years ago. Yeah, well said. Um, the next story, this was my titular story. I, I did, I did like why this won't one. women just say what they want? Yeah. So the gist is basically there's this very famous artist who goes on this apology tour, um, and the and then at the end he ends up di- dying because he gets pushed into a vat of. What was it's it? lava. It's like a fake volcano, isn't it? Lava, but it's not yeah, really lava. Exactly. And he gets no, but he dies yes. from it. And so, I love this. I love that none of the women are named except for Shannon. They're called like, they're yeah, they're called things. So there's the um, model slash actress who dated him a while ago. There's the long suffering ex wife. There's the on again, off again ex of his wayward youth. There's the formal personal assistant, mm-hmm. soon to be short suffering second ex-wife, the daughter. Um, and it just kind of goes through basically all the shitty, shitty ways that men treat women. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the blatantly shitty and the what you consider more subtly shitty and the different ways that people are affected. Um, I mean, he's even got his high school sweethearts her you know makes an apology to her and just all the different ways that they react to it yeah how women are treated by the media i think she gives a good look on that i mean just she i really really liked this one i thought i thought it was just really uh wry and blunt and just kind of in your face and yeah i really liked it right well it's it it was fun it was fun you know even though it was talking about horrible things that he does but i think it's it's fun to read i think as a woman because it's for me anyway i'm, I'm like yeah this stuff happens all the time right like oh uh-huh. finally like, oh, someone's yep. listing yep. all yep. these things yes 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 i think it wouldn't maybe not be as fun for people who are still kind of like reckoning with the the their own kind of internalized misogyny a bit. But, um, I thought 
it was really great. I, I'm not going to lie. The thing that stuck out with me the most and the question that I need answered the most is who is Shannon, the only person who was named and what did he do to her? Because that's the only one where it doesn't say what he did. Oh, yeah. It was, well, and that's the thing. Like, I just love it. And because in some of it, in some of their names, you get what happened. Like, they gives this list. Um, after the first round, the apologies became less extensive, but grew in number and degree of precision. He apologized, too. The girl he did know was blackout drunk because he was actually mostly sober. You've got the whole story yeah. right there. The girl who was so stunned by her apology that it sent her to therapy because she had no recollection of meeting him, let alone having sex with him. The girl he knew was only pretending to like it rough because she wanted to make him happy, but said nothing to because he liked making her pretend to like it. Wow, there's so much yeah. gaslighting and shit in there. It's awesome. The girl who really did like it rough, who was annoyingly undiminished by her pleasure until he told her nobody would ever really love her because she was such a whore. Again, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is just, yeah. The guy he made homophobic jokes about in college, but still asked to suck him off sometimes. The closeted friend he never touched, but whose longing he nevertheless made as much use of as he would of any woman's. Shannon. The intern who left the art world after their summer fling. <laughs> the woman he asked to back out of a grant they were both up for and ended things with as soon as she did. The model whose breast he grabbed once as a joke. The girl who wondered all those years what to call what had happened between them because, yeah, she had intended to have sex with him, but she hadn't intended it to happen like that. And she hadn't expected him to hurt her, but not notice or care or stop. Yeah. Um, just the different things she plays with in this short story really grabbed me. I just thought it all said so much and really just like kept just that compression thing. Just so much in there. Like, yeah. I really liked this story. And, and yeah, I mean, part of that's the connection to it. Yeah. I mean, this is something... I can connect to on many different levels, more so than some of the other stories. Mm -hmm. um, so that's obviously partly why it grabbed me in, but uh, I just think it was really, really well done. Well, I like, like you said, the compression and how much she's able to fit in and, and say. I also like how uh, the stuff that is unsaid kind of sticks out more because of it like the Shannon of it all to me sticks out a lot more mm -hmm. because it's the yeah. only thing outside of it and everything else you know it's more specific about kind of what happens or what their reactions are but the only other thing that's said about Shannon is that she came into the volcano room and yelled at him and he consoled her it was easy he had after all known about her since she was a child and I think right there um I don't know. I mean, it's still very much up for interpretation of like what he did to her. But I also I like the idea that all of these things that he did do is expressed and is really put out there. But there are still some things that have been done that you can't even say or maybe even put words to in some way, like whatever he yeah. did to her that like we can't even seem to put words to it. And I liked that room for interpretation and the idea that like some pain is and some harm is uh, difficult to, to kind of itemize or, or put into like one specific thing, you know, something like maybe it was so big that one sentence or phrase or description couldn't have done it justice. And I thought that says a lot about who this man was, yeah. you know, well, and either how awful or how 
just not like how much of it there was. Like you can't even just limit what happened to Shannon. She's like her own title. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, and I really liked the last one. Anything could disappear. Um, I thought this, this one I think was the more hopeful of the stories for me. Like, so it's about Vera who's, um, basically doing a drug run to New York Mm -hmm. and, a mom she thinks a mom abandons her little boy or at least he seems abandoned and she ends up kind of taking him and taking care of him i think he's like two or something maybe not even that old and and basically her starting over her life in new york and she gets involved with these two guys who run like a bike delivery messenger service that's about half legal half illegal Mm -hmm. stuff that they're messaging and she gets in a relationship with one and she's got her life started she makes you know making decent money she has people that care about her and this boy she feels like she's created this family and then their business ends up having to get shut down because a bike messenger gets in a really bad accident and so everything kind of gets a spotlight on them and she ends up finding um you know the boy wasn't abandoned well or at least the it maybe was they the father really talk about that the father the, the had, father is yeah. looking there was an issue with the mother and so now the father's looking and and her kind of, you know, realizing that she can't, can't keep the boy. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so it, it was sad, but I, I thought it was the, also the happiest of the stories. I think it's, um, it's w- another story where I think that she is telling it from the perspective of someone who I think in almost any other story would have been the villain. You know, like the idea of someone Mm -hmm. abducting a kid that's like villainous, right? But there's nothing super villainous about this character. And it's interesting getting the story from her perspective. But then it's also, I think, something that to me separated it from some of the other stories where I felt like she she did that, especially the Boys Go to Jupiter one, which I think is told Mm -hmm. from like the perspective of the quote unquote villain of the story. Um, Yeah. I think that she actually like makes the right choice in in the end, you know? And I think that that was really satisfying to, to read like the fact that this character, as opposed to, I think some of the other ones in the book, it, it kind of has more of an actual ending than the other ones did, which I think is why it's so successful as the final story leading up to the novella. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it was a great, I really loved all these stories. I thought they flowed so well together. I thought that they were, there was a lot of variety Mm -hmm. um, while the core message being the core message um, and really sets it up for the novella. So I'm really excited to talk about that next and we can talk about that and maybe kind of wrap it up with the whole six stories. And as overall, that's kind of was what, we were thinking yes. so you still have time to go get it and at least read the novella catch up on the short stories it's great i really 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 liked this one i did too um, it's been a while it was, since it was very affecting for me it's been a while since i've read like a a full collection of short short stories so this has been a lot of fun yeah for sure it's probably good to maybe we'll do some more short stories down the road but um again our next book, Sadie, if you can tell everyone listening. Yes. So the next one that we're going to be reading is Somewhere Wicked. This, oh, oh my gosh. So, 
<laughs> something wicked this somewhere over the rainbow. Something wicked this way comes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was not thinking. By Ray Bradbury. I should really start having the book in front of me because as soon as I started talking, I said it wrong. Um, yeah, something wicked this way comes. It's it's late. Sadie's great and always like <laughs> does the late since we're two hours <laughs> apart. I really appreciate oh, you. I appreciate so, it. <laughs> but you're young. You you can you can handle it. I'm old, so like I I get to have the earlier. Or the time that's most convenient. For you me are just... so full of grace; it makes me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, something wicked this way comes by Ray Bradbury. It should be a lot of fun, and it should get you in the mood. I think for fall, Ray Bradbury always makes me think of uh, a fall and falling leaves and stuff. So I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks everybody. Um, thanks for listening, and thanks for reading. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.